All right, I want to review just a couple of things, a couple of principles that we see in Scripture that we've looked at the last couple of weeks. One, uh, we saw it's clear in Scripture that we ought not to be idle or lazy, uh, but we ought to work. If we can, if we're able, we ought to work. Um, secondly, we've seen that we shouldn't desire wealth or riches, but we should be content with what we have. Thirdly, we shouldn't blow our money or hoard our money, but we should give generously. These are just some kind of summarizing things the last couple of weeks. Uh, and fourthly, certainly, certainly we should not worry, but we should trust God to provide for our needs. I think those are safe to say are, are biblical principles and priorities. Work, be content, give, trust. All of those things I think are developed pretty well in Scripture. And if you work and you're content, then it's reasonable to assume that some of you will have money then to give. And it, that is, if you don't blow it or you don't hoard too much of it for yourself, you'll actually be able to give that. And you, if you're asking, if you find yourself asking, well, what if I give to the point that I can't meet my own need? Um, I think that that's just a category that's not even addressed in Scripture. Um, I, the reality is that's not what we're likely to experience in our lives. Um, and I don't, I personally am not convinced that it's possible to give too much away. I believe that God would still provide all your needs. Work, be content, give, trust. The next three weeks, um, we're going to get more specific. Now, as we move from some kind of clear, hopefully, principles and priorities in Scripture to application, that's going to start to look different for everyone, right? Usually our application does, a little different. Maybe it's kind of similar for some of us and very uh, dissimilar for some of us. But we're going to, in order to kind of stir our minds about some application, we're going to look in Scripture to see some examples of God's people stewarding God's stuff for God's purposes. How do people in Scripture, how are they called to use the, the money specifically that God given, had given to them? It's kind of cool. We have a lot of examples in Scripture, and that's, that's a, I mean, why else do we have so much history recorded in the Bible uh, except, one, we could have an example from that. Sometimes of what not to do, but oftentimes what to do. Um, so we're going to learn from those hopefully tonight. By the way, tonight, um, when I say giving, we are talking primarily financial. That's kind of the point of the last few weeks. But it doesn't just mean, I'm not just saying giving by putting a check in the offering basket. Or like giving money to the church budget. That's potentially part of it. But that's not the only type of giving that I'm, uh, that I'm talking about. We're gonna, um, probably next week and the following week, we'll even get more specifically into what the giving can look like. But um, just so you know, I'm not, I'm not expecting a big offering this week or something, as if we had a basket <laughs> to pass around. Um, there are many ways to give of our stuff that God's given to us. And we'll, we'll talk uh, other times about the specifics of some ideas for that. But tonight's purpose, giving, is just taking something that, that you've been given by God and it's going outside of you. It's not, you're not keeping it for yourself. That's not, that's not wrong. We've looked at, hey, it's fine to meet 
provide for your own needs and even to save to some extent to do that. But, um, but when we say giving, it's however giving looks like in your life with material possessions, it's just not going to you, it's going out from you. All right. So I just want to start um, and spend the first probably third or half of our time by, by looking at some examples in scripture and giving some, um, some guidelines in giving. Grab that again if I don't doubt um, that. And I say guidelines because, like I said, we're, we're kind of getting to the level of specificity and application that I, I don't want to go beyond what Scripture says and say, well, here's what you have to do, um, or else we, we'd be going beyond God's Word and into legalism and stuff. So... Um, just three guidelines I want to give you um, in giving, and I'll develop these just a little bit. Um, the first one, I didn't, couldn't think of a better way to um, say this, but we give, and we kind of addressed this last week, I won't spend long here, but we give because we have to and because we want to. Um, the have-to side of things is there seems to be some commands in Scripture about meeting the needs of the poor, meeting the needs of our brothers and sisters in Christ. So it's not just a matter of, well, I just give when I want to, but no, we, we just like in so many things, we obey God because he says that this is what you need to do, regardless of if we like it or not. Um, we're, he is our Lord, and we are his servants, his slaves, and so we do what God tells us to do. Um, Last week I described it this way, giving isn't optional in scripture. The life of a Christian must necessarily, I think, be characterized by charity. And if it isn't, I think we can question, like look in your own life, if your life isn't characterized by charity, a heart of giving, I think we have reason to question, is, is our faith genuine? That's what James says, literally, if a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, hey, go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. It's been the case, it's been God's heart that we give for thousands of years. We see even in Deuteronomy, like I mentioned last week, I command you, God says to the Israelites, you shall open your hand wide to your brother, to the needy and to the poor in your land. So we give because that's what God tells us to do. We, we have to, in a sense. Now the specifics, um, especially for us in the New Testament, aren't, aren't laid out quite, um, maybe as much as some of, some of us would want it to be laid out so we can follow the rules, but it's not optional. And... Um, we can't just say, well, God hasn't moved me to be generous. I just haven't felt, you know, pulled to, uh, by the Spirit to give. If that's the case, you're, just, you're oblivious to the needs around you because they're all around us, and we need to grow in the Spirit leading us in generosity. So, but not only do we have to, we give because we want to. We also saw last week that it's, it's more blessed or brings more happiness to give than to receive. God loves a cheerful giver. We want to do these things. Generous people, I pointed out last week, they're oftentimes the happiest people we know because they're, they're so giving and it just kind of goes hand in hand oftentimes. 
And giving satisfies us, unlike money that doesn't necessarily satisfy us. Um, we're going to look at uh, 2 Corinthians 8 and 9 quite a bit. Um, so if you want to turn there, uh, right now I'm just going to touch it briefly, but um, 2 Corinthians 8. Paul was taking collections, he's going around to different churches taking collections for the poor church in Jerusalem. Okay? Um, so he says in 2 Corinthians 8, starting verse 1, talking to the Corinthians, we want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. That's um, Philippi, Thessalonica, I think Berea, kind of these churches. We want you to know about this grace given among the churches of Macedonia, for in a severe test of affliction, if you haven't read this part in the Bible yet or it's unfamiliar to you, this is awesome. I love this. This is what the churches did. In a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means, of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. Like they're saying, Paul, please let us help those who are in need in Jerusalem. They gave because they wanted to. That's my point. Um, in the Old Testament, there was even some give as you want to in what they call the free free will offerings. It wasn't some requirement, but you brought what, what you would like to in that. Um, in regards to giving, I believe that um, the Spirit of God puts in us a sense of I'm commanded to and I want to when it comes to giving. I think that's a work that he does and is doing in us. Okay, secondly, I think we can find good example in Scripture that we should give systematically and spontaneously. These are guidelines. Systematically. Can you read that? Also to the Corinthians, in 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 16, I think it's talking about the same collection. Uh, Paul says, Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I directed the churches in Galatia, so you also are to do. Listen how he tells them to take up this collection. On the first day of every week, each of you is to put something aside and store it up. So here's Paul saying, practically, here's how we're going to be generous people. Here's how I'm telling you. I told Galatia what we're going to do. Once a week, we're going to, we're going to store some up. We're going to put some aside. Each one of you is going to do that. That involves some element of planning. Another example, 2 Corinthians 9, 7. Each one must give, Paul says, as he has decided in his heart. That word decided means decided beforehand. 
or to determine something ahead of time. I'm going to give in this way. I'm going to think about this, hopefully pray about this, and I'm going to give in this way. Biblical giving, I believe, is intentional and thought out and regular. That's why I say systematically. If you remember, whose money is it? God's money, and we are managing God's money, and it's required of stewards that they be found faithful. So if it's God's money that, that we're managing, we shouldn't be irrational with it and impulsive with it, willy-nilly with it, but there should be some planning. We should determine and decide how we're going to give. And like the example of the Corinthians and Galatians, to, to put some aside, he says, it's not just giving just whenever I feel like it, a little bit here, a little bit there, I have a little bit left over, just kind of flippantly, but I believe there should be praying and planning and um, giving as you've determined to give. That makes sense. And you can see that kind of a pattern throughout Scripture. That's how God kind of designs giving. The money, you receive some kind of material blessings, and then you give. And as you receive, you give. And as you receive, you give. Not only systematically, though, a, a good guideline, guideline in giving is that we give spontaneously as well. So, um, in Luke, Jesus says, give to everyone who begs of you. Well, I don't know when that's going to happen. Like, needs arise all around me all the time, and I, I can't necessarily plan for them or know when to expect them. It's like the parable of the Good Samaritan, right? Um, it, by chance, it says these guys were walking by this guy on the side of the road, and the one decides, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to help this guy. I'm going to meet this guy's needs. But it was spontaneous. He wasn't expecting, I don't think, to bump into that guy. Uh, just a side note, I think even this is just, just me um, giving a little bit of advice here. I think you can even plan some spontaneous giving. You can, you can have room in, in what you have and what you what you keep, you can have room to be able to give as you see needs that need to be met. Um, Mary Beth and I try to do that. We have, a, we have a budgeted item or a line item in our budget that is set aside for as, as we see a need and as it comes up, oh, we actually are able to do this because we've, we've, we've set that aside. Now, um, this kind of goes back into the, the working thing that if, if you just are concerned only about yourself, then you're going to work enough to have everything you need and maybe everything you want. But if you're thinking about the needs of other people, then you're going to work not only till you're good, but you're going to work till you actually can have something to share with somebody. We'll talk about that in a little bit. Uh, but I think we can see examples in Scripture as good guidelines of giving that, that sh there should be systematic giving and spontaneous giving. Thirdly, um, we should give proportionally and sacra. The lower I get on the board, the harder I have to respond. Sacra. Sacrificially. What's that? Proportionally, yes, and sacrificially. Sacrificially, sacred. It's an I. Sacred, right? Sacred. 
Give proportionally and sacrificially. So, um, again, back to that First Corinthians verse. On the first day of every week, Paul says, each one of you is to put something aside and store it up. And then he says, after that, you store it up, each one as he may prosper, it says. So, the more you prosper, the more you have to give, is what Paul is telling the Corinthians. In the book of Acts, when we're seeing some of the early church activity, listen to what it says in the book of Acts. And in the proportion that any of the disciples had means, each of them determined to send a contribution. So it's proportional giving. We don't all give the same amount, but we can give proportionally to what God has given to us. When I was um, a small boy, um, my dad was the director of a, a crisis pregnancy center, a nonprofit uh, provided uh, counseling for uh, women with child and um, post-abortion counseling. And um, I received, I think at the time, a, an allowance of probably $10 a month, I think. I'm a little older than some of you. So I'm, I remember one time finding out that I had a friend who, who got it was either 20 or $40 a week. And I was like, oh, mind blown. Yeah, it was for a kid, yeah. I think we had, couldn't have been, we were maybe 12, that's max. But, um, so $10 was my income, so to speak, a month. Um, I wanted to give generously with my income. And so I determined to give to the nonprofit that my dad worked for, and I decided to give each month 50 cents. That was what I determined in my heart. And that was proportional to my income, I felt. Um, it, it, which was such a small amount that my dad actually matched my 50 cents so we could at least send in a dollar and then have to put coins in the envelope. <laughs> but as your income grows, uh, that was a silly example, but um, your, your giving grows. Can, can you imagine if I was still giving 50 cents as a donation to the CPC? Um, so in Deuteronomy, uh, could go back to the Old Testament, again, just looking at some example in Scripture, Deuteronomy 16, 17 talks about how every man should give as he is able, and it says, according to the blessing of the Lord your God has given you. So according to what God's given to you, or in proportion, you could say, what God's given you, we give. In the Old Testament, was there a prescribed proportion? Yeah. What do you call it? Tithe. Tithe. Tithes, yeah. Um, what's our proportion? 90%. Okay, we'll talk about it in a little bit. Maybe, maybe not. Ours is nine. We'll get to that. Not only proportionally, but sacrificially, or beyond our proportion, right? Um, 2 Corinthians 8, to go back to the Macedonian churches, 2 Corinthians 8, verses 2 and 3 say this. I read it, part of it already. Their extreme poverty, <laughs> this just blows my mind, 
their extreme poverty has overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. They're so poor that they were overflowing with generosity. For they gave according to their means, there's proportionally, and as I can testify, and beyond their means, there's sacrificially, of, of their own free will, he says. The Macedonians were living in poverty, yet they gave extremely generously beyond their means. Sacrificially, you could say. In Mark 12, uh, it says this, Jesus sat down opposite the treasury. You guys know this old fun Sunday school story. It's true. It's not even a parable. It's actually happened. Sat down opposite the treasury and watched the people putting money into the offering box. Many rich people put in large sums. That's awesome. He doesn't say you shouldn't do that. But a poor widow came and put in two small copper coins, which make a penny. Or I think a good conversion for us is it's like a dollar or two. And he called his disciples to him and said to them, Truly I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all those who are contributing to the offering box. For they all contributed out of their abundance, but she out of her poverty has put in everything she had, all she had to live on, she put in. So the poor widow didn't stop at proportional giving, which would have, I guess, been less, you know, maybe they could cut the coins in half, I don't know. Um, but she gave sacrificially. And I believe, and most commentators believe, that that's, Jesus is commending that, actually. So it's one thing to give kind of in a systematic, proportional way. Some of us grew up in context where that was drilled into our minds, um, especially when it comes to a, a tithe. This is a discipline that we, we need to do, um, and it's awesome. And I wonder, though, how many of us in this Christian context grew up learning and being taught how to give sacrificially. Like, learning to actually lower our lifestyle to help meet the needs of somebody else. That's sacrificial giving. And I think in light of the examples in the New Testament and in light of the ultimate sacrifice of Jesus to meet our needs, we would do well to respond both by giving proportionally and sometimes sacrificially. Um, there's one more I'm not going to put on here, but I think is, is clear from Scripture. There's others we could come up with, but I think we ought to give quietly, I would say. Um, Matthew 6 talks about when you give to the needy, don't sound a trumpet. That's what the hypocrites do, so people will praise them. They've received their reward, but when you give to the needy, don't, know what your left hand, or don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Um, so there's this element of when we give, we shouldn't be audacious or, or um, drawing attention to ourselves about it. Um, I don't. I, I haven't sensed that with with anybody in the church and any of the generosity that I've seen. So I'm not. Uh, I don't even feel like we need to hear that in particular, but it's worth putting out there. So have to and want to. We give systematically and spontaneously. We give proportionally and sacrificially. I was looking at these um, and seeing that the first, like if this is a column here, this column seems, it feels a little bit more like, like duty. Um, and this column seems a little bit more like um, art. Just a, an observation. Um, would you all agree that 
God wants much more than our dutiful obedience, but he actually wants our hearts as well. And it, not to dismiss the, the obedience part of doing what God says, that would be enough, um, but I think that there's a shift when Jesus comes on the scene, um, or at least that Jesus makes clear. I think it was supposed to be present in the Old Testament Israelite community, but there's this shift that becomes clear in the Sermon on the Mount um, that we're going beyond just what we have to do and we're moving to what God really wants to capture, which is our heart. So he goes into things in the Sermon on the Mount like, yes, of course you shouldn't murder. Your duty is to not murder people, but you also shouldn't hate. That's a matter of the heart posture. Of course you shouldn't commit adultery, that's law, but you also um, shouldn't lust. That's something that is happening in your heart and mind. Of course you should keep your official oaths, um, but you also should not want to deceive people. So Jesus is continually moving to the, the heart. He's, of course you should do your duty, but what I really want is your heart. And I think that that's kind of a fair assessment of the shift between Old Testament and New Testament giving. I should start here, but I think God wants to move me in that direction. Like, I, I think there's some, well, minimally, we, we give because th there's a commandment to, and, and it, it can be a systematic part of our lives, and we should give proportionally. Um, but really what I think uh, God may want to get down to is oh we all we get to give out of out of generosity love and joy and sacrifice and spontaneity because we want to. So um, I mentioned that we would come to this. What was again the proportional, systematic, required way of giving in the Old Testament? Okay, sacrifice, which involved bringing the first of what you have and tithes, okay? Um, tithe means one-tenth, if you didn't know that. So you can't tithe 20%. You tithe two ten percent but anyway, it's just a pet peeve. Um, if you want to give 20%, you can, just don't call it a tithe. Two tithes. Specifically, 10% uh, of giving of your income or what you produce was the way that it was in the Old Testament. And in, in Israel, the tithe went to several different things. It went to the, the livelihood and, and the payment of the priests and the Levites. It went to all of the cost that goes into the festivals and traveling to Jerusalem and all of the animals and sacrifice and incense and everything that needed to be burned and used there. It went towards meeting the needs of the poor. Uh, those are some of the things... And actually, if you, if you look in the Old Testament, it seems there's not just one tithe. It's not just you have to give 10%, but there's actually, it seems like, a couple of tithes and even another tithe for the poor and needy that you'd give every third year. So if you really want to add it up, maybe you're looking at more like 20 or 23% that the people are giving up there um, of what they have. And, and those were required by God. It's kind of over here in this column, if you will. The question comes up, do we as New Testament believers who aren't bound in the same way by the law, do we have to tithe? And there's a bit of a debate on this. 
Um, but I can't find, or I'm not convinced of a requirement as New Testament believers that we have to tithe. Okay? I know that there's some, some people will talk about, well, Abraham and uh, Jacob, I think, bring a tithe before there was any, you know, Mosaic law and requirement to do that. Um, so it's a universal 10% that people should give. But um, I, I'm personally not convinced that that's a requirement as New Testament believers. But, before we breathe a sigh of relief, let me go back to what I was saying before, that this side is really a great place to start, but God wants to move beyond, well, what's my minimal duty to a heartfelt response to the goodness of God and spontaneity and sacrificial and generous giving out of the joy of our heart. So it's not to to just let us off the hook. Oh, I don't, in that case, I'm not under the law. I don't have to do that. But it seems like, like it, again, there's this shift when, when Jesus starts talking. The Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees who are doing their tithes and stuff, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. It looks like a proper, the proper type of kingdom living means righteousness that is not just keeping up with the law. That's not good enough. If anything, I think Jesus teaches New Testament believers, it's not supposed to kind of loosen the way that we live, but it's to go deeper into God's heart. So what pleases God goes so far beyond your, your surface kind of dutiful ability to not murder or not commit adultery or not break your oath or... Um, pay your tithe, but he actually asks, Jesus actually wants a heart that, that feels a desire to do those things. So I think 10%, if you will, is a great place to start. It's not a legalistic obligation that's set up for us, but I think it's a good example to follow. Um, Pongo, when he teaches next week, he's going to teach um, a little bit about budgeting and how we can start there with our giving. But like I said at the beginning, there's a lot of ways that we can give, even our material financial resources. And um, it's not just in the checks that you write to the church. I don't want it to, to come across that way. I don't want to get too just wrapped up in even, even a tithe amount. Well, I give 3% to the church budget, and I give another 3% to meeting needs, and I give 4% to my missionary friends over here, so it amounts to 10%. Well, good for you. That's not the point. Of, of giving. I'm not suggesting that you aim for the minimal amount and make sure that you get 10% in there somehow. So, moving on. I want to describe how I believe that God intends for giving um, to happen in his church, and not just giving, but for God's provision to happen among his people, okay? So we've, we have some guidelines, like some examples that we can follow and draw from, from but I want to pull back the curtain on something, um, and in, in my last few weeks of, of kind of studying through this, my eyes personally have been opened to something um, new, not new as if nobody's ever heard of it, just new to me, kind of a, a newer concept or something I, haven't, I hadn't explored so deeply. 
Um, and this is where I, maybe I've mentioned a couple times the last couple of weeks, but this is like the scariest part for me of what I, have, I get to teach. Um, and it affects all of us, um, including myself, greatly. Uh, and it's this idea I'll share with you guys. God gives some of his kids more and some less so that those with more will give to those with less so that all the needs of his family will be met so that praise and thanksgiving be given to God. I'll say it again. God gives some of his kids more and some less so those with more will give to those with less so that all the needs of his family will be met so that praise and thanksgiving be given to God. So, turn to 2 Corinthians 8, if you're not there already. We're going to go just past where Paul has described the generous giving of the Macedonian churches. And he starts to say to the church of Corinth, here's what, here's what I'm uh, commanding of you, expecting of you. In 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 10. By the way, you can learn a lot by, of, about giving if you just look at 2 Corinthians chapters 8 and 9. They're kind of flooded with some really good principles. That's where I'm drawing some of this. So 2 Corinthians 8 verse 10 says this. He's telling the church in Corinth. And in this matter I give my judgment. This benefits you who a year ago started not only to do this work but also to desire to do it. The work of, of collecting and meeting the needs of, of the poor in Jerusalem. So now finish doing it as well so that your readiness and desiring it may be matched by your completing it out of what you have. Like don't just talk about your desire to give and, and this, this good desire that you have, but let's actually do it. Like, let's go ahead and, and get there. For if the readiness is there, it is acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what he does not have. In verse 13. For I do not mean that others should be eased and you burdened, but that as a matter of fairness, here it is, your abundance at the present time should supply their need, so that their abundance may supply your need, that there may be fairness. Verse 15, as it is written, whoever gathered much had nothing left over, and whoever gathered little had no lack. Corinthians, God has given you more right now than the Jerusalemites. Reason behind that? So that you can supply their needs right now. It's kind of like this. Um, so to the Corinthians, God has given stuff to me so that they can give stuff to you or the person that's in need or the church that's in need in this example. He also said it seems that there's a possibility that at some point they, that other person, might be able to um, provide for your needs. And as a matter of fairness, you who have 
more are going to give to those who have less. And then Paul uses the example from the Old Testament of the manna that Israel ate in the wilderness, which anytime like there's there's a teaching and a command in the New Testament that something's referred to thousands of years earlier under completely different covenants, like wow, this is a universal desire of God and principle uh, throughout Scripture. So he refers back to Exodus, uh, what we read in Exodus 16. I'll just read it for you. The Israelites, as they like to do, are grumbling in the wilderness because they're hungry. And um, it says, God says, I've heard the grumbling of the people of Israel. Say to them, at twilight you shall eat meat, and in the morning you shall be filled with bread. Then you shall know that I am the Lord your God. In the evening, quail came and covered up the camp, and in the morning, dew lay around the camp. And when the dew had gone up, there was on the face of the wilderness a fine flake-like thing, fine as frost on the ground. What's it called? Manna. Yeah. When the people of Israel saw it, they said to one another, What is it? Which is, I think, what manna sounds like, right? That's where they get the word. For they did not know what it was. And Moses said to them, It is bread that the Lord has given you to eat. This is what the Lord has commanded. Now listen to the specifics of this. Gather of it, each one of you, as much as he can eat. You shall each take an omer according to the number of persons that each has in his tent. And that's a measurement, omer. And the people of Israel did so. They gathered, listen, some more, some less. But when they measured it with an omer, and each takes the proper amount, whoever gathered much had nothing left over, and whoever gathered little had no lack. Each of them, it says, gathered as much as he could eat. So I don't know exactly how this worked out. Some, some people think that this is a, a, a miracle of God, the way that it worked out, or some people kind of just look at, well, after I measure my omer, then I have this left over. So, but exactly how that works out doesn't matter so much as we see that God provided for Israel exactly what was needed, exactly what needed to be provided for the needs. Everyone had enough. Those who gathered more had just enough at the end of the day. Those who gathered less had just enough, and it was just the right amount to meet the provision or the needs of all. And God used, or Paul uses this example of Old Testament Israel as how God, and he, he's using it in the context of how God is going to provide among these churches and the poor in the churches and those who have more in the churches. Um, then skip forward to 2 Corinthians uh, 9, verse 8, the next chapter, verse 8. It says, And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. Well, what's the good work? God's just, like, meeting our needs. As it is written, he has distributed freely. This is God. He's given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. Verse 10. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food, and everything you can say, will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. So I'm going to add something on here. As... As these opportunities present themselves, oh, sometimes I should say God gives stuff to them, give to me. Um, here's, 
here's what arises out of the way that God has set up this system within this community. There's an opportunity for righteousness here and righteousness here. Go on, verse 11, you will be enriched. This is a great summary verse for everything that I'm talking about today, by the way, verse 11. You will be enriched in every way, Paul tells the Corinthians, to be generous in every way. Here's why I'm enriching you, to be generous. Which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. Everyone's giving thanks. Verse 12, for the ministry of this service is, I like how it says this, not only supplying the needs of the saints, but it's also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. It's not just about meeting needs, but it's about thanks being given to God. Verse 13, by their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others. While they long for you and pray for you, that's stuff going the other way, because of the surpassing grace of God upon you, thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. Which I, I think is talking about the most inexpressible gift of Christ. So I'm going to say this again. God gives some of his kids more and some less, so that those with more will give to those with less, so that all the needs of his family will be met, so that praise and thanksgiving and honor and glory will be given to God. Now, y'all, I can't begin to describe how radical this type of community would be and is, and how kind of unsettling maybe that makes some of us, and how countercultural that is, and how incredibly beautiful it's designed to be. God gives, I receive, and then I steward God's stuff by meeting somebody else's need, and in the meantime, God rewards me for my righteousness, and he promises to meet my needs, whether that's going to come from them at another time, who I gave to, or who else who knows who it's going to come from. He promises to provide my need. And it's so much better than this. God gives stuff to me, and I, of course, give thanks to God. It's like, well, that's, that's cool, and that would be great, and sometimes that happens. But do you see how cool this design is that God would give to me so that I can give to you? It gives an, op an opportunity for righteousness and obedience to God, and there's so much more thanks and joy and praise that's going to be given to God when we see this type of thing happening within community. Um, I think this is the way, God giving to some more and to some less, that God designs money to work in his community. That's the way he set up Old Testament Israel. And even though it's hard to imagine in our culture, in our context, that's the way I think Paul is telling the Corinthians to live. And it's not like, it's not Republican and it's not Democrat. It's the perfect example of voluntary, joy-filled redistribution of wealth. 
because we want to. <laughs> the Macedonians, it says, they were begging Paul earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. Like, there's, there's so much joy behind it, and thanksgiving, and glory to God um, because of his immeasurable generosity towards us. Um, like, as I'm kind of, as this is fresh in my mind, and I'm kind of growing to accept and, and receive um, some of this, it's amazing how you can start to kind of see in Scripture how, how God's designed this for his people. Um, again, that verse in, in 2 Corinthians 9-11, you'll be enriched in every way to be generous in every way. That's why God's doing the enriching, so that it will produce thanksgiving to God. In Ephesians 4, let the thief no longer steal, don't do that anymore, but let him labor doing honest work with his hands. Why work with his hands? So he doesn't have to steal anymore. Not only that, but so he has something to give to anyone in need, it says. That's why I do honest work with my hands. Not so I just will stop stealing, but actually so I can give to somebody as they have need, Ephesians 4 says. We see it in the book of Acts, um, obviously, in Acts 2, 44 to 46. It says, all who believed were together, and they had all things in common, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need, and day by day attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts because, of, because this whole process was going on. God was being praised. I love that. They received their provision with generous hearts. How <coughs> do you receive something generously? That's what was happening. God was so generous to them and what he gives to them that their, their heartfelt response is generosity for each other. How on earth are we going to live this out? It goes far beyond getting everybody in the church to tithe. Though I think when a lot of churches teach stewardship, unfortunately, that's kind of the goal. We just need to get more tithers. It goes far beyond, I think, that, that first column of kind of the have-to, systematic, proportional, kind of dutiful giving. That's good, and I think we should be at and start there. If you have money in your bank account, like I do, maybe more of that than you thought is purposed for somebody else and not yourself. Maybe more than you realize. Or you might have to, maybe you're the other side of the boat and you have to say, hey, people are actually um, meeting my needs right now. Someone else is supplying my needs and God may want to use me one day to do that for somebody else. Maybe you even like say, hey, maybe like the Macedonians and the poor widow, um, I'd like to give generously out of my poverty. just want to end with a little bit of perspective and some questions that we might ask you because I think these, are, these come to my mind. Um, speaking of fairness, I worked hard for what I have, you might say or think. And I would say, who is it that has given you the ability to work? And who is it that has provided that income for you in the first place? Or another way to say that is, what do you have that you haven't received from God? 
But if I live this way, we might say, I may not have what I need. Like, what if I don't save enough because I gave too much? And I understand that concern, but remember the manna, God provides. But again, there's not just this category in Scripture, nothing that speaks to, sorry you saved too much, or sorry, I'm sorry, sorry you gave too much. Uh, what if somebody's, I meet someone, someone's needs now because I can and I'm able, but later, if I need a need to be met, what if they don't come through? Like, this is a community thing. Well, I could be a really generous one, and what if God's church doesn't come around and play their part in that? Frankly, that's none of your concern. God provides. He knows our needs, and he'll provide what's needed. Proverbs 21, 26 says, The righteous gives and does not hold back. That's your responsibility. Generosity. Let God take care of his responsibility to provide what he sees fit that you need. Here's the last one. I think this is maybe where the most kind of friction comes. But living... in this way that because God has given me more, he's actually given me that to meet the needs of other people, um, that might lower my lifestyle. And to that I would say, if you need an example of a lowered lifestyle, let me tell you what Paul puts right in the middle of this, this lesson to the Corinthians about their how they ought to give. Right in the middle of that, chapter 2, verses, uh, verse, I'm sorry, chapter 8, Verse 9, I think it's my favorite verse in the Bible. Here's, here's the motivation for the Corinthians to give, okay? Paul says, you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. You know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. God's not asking us to become poor so that somebody else can become rich. He's asking us to respond to this most generous gift of his son that he's given to us. Philippians 2 says, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. God's given that to me. But in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Here's the example again of Christ, who though he was in the form of God, did not, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. But Christ emptied himself by taking on the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And our generosity is in response to Jesus who gives all to us. So what percentage might be appropriate for us to give back to God? He gives us 100%. Romans 12, 1, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, 
to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable <coughs> to God, which is your spiritual worship. All of you. I don't know exactly what this looks like in our local church context, in the context of the, the larger church in America, and there's lots of poor churches around the world, much poorer than us. Um, I have some ideas of maybe what that could look like. I, we'll have some, what I really want to do is kind of just sit on on this idea, especially scary for those who have have more at this time, um, this idea that God actually gives people more or less, so that the ones with more will give to the ones with less. Um, I kind of want to just sit on that for a couple of weeks, and then um, when we when we get there, we'll we'll talk about just kind of the nitty gritty kind of specifics. Of how could that work out in our church? I keep saying we're going to go more specific. I think you'll appreciate some of the specifics of next week and then the following week, and we'll really talk about us. I hope that we can go deep into this ideal of, of God's um, even in the, I didn't hear a lot of this, this, what I feel is like shakiness, like, well, I feel pretty secure usually, or in the last several years of my life, I like financially, we got to a point that we're, we're okay, so I, when I think about generosity and what God would call us to, to meet the needs around us and what he's given to us, and maybe that's not for me, maybe just, it makes me a little, it makes me feel unsteady, and, um, but on the other hand, anytime I'm able even in the smallest way to live into what God calls me to, it's it's freedom when I'm not bound by mine and I have to, you know, um, when I'm just I'm serving worldly possessions. So um, it's a little scary for me. But uh, let me just pray. Um, let me tell you guys too this. Next week, please make sure to be here. Um, we're actually going to get um, particularly practical. One, just to hear, again, some stories of the $20 challenge. And then two, Pongo's going to be super helpful with um, uh, a crash course on, on, a, on a few helpful ways to, to help us really to get to a point of saying, hey, let's, let's be generous and some real practicality behind that. So um, let's break. Father, I thank you for your generosity towards us um, that you gave us what uh, what we I don't think it's just extra words in scripture when it says your, your only son your only begotten son um, and the significance of that your one and only son you gave um, that is that is extreme uh, love, unconditional love, uh, sacrificial love, extreme generosity, and so we thank you for that. We are receivers of that grace, and we don't deserve it. And we're receivers of 
even grace on top of that with anything else that you provide for us, even in, in, in our basic needs to every good gift that you've given to us. We receive that from you. God, we want to recognize that as your generous hand to us, and then we want to know how to wisely steward what you've given us for your purposes. And so would you continue to stretch us and grow us and teach us and give us uh, application of how that can look as individuals and as a church. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.